We look forward to seeing you at Two Days of Truth being presented by Beyond Labels. It's our fourth annual Two Days of Truth Summit. This year's theme is Detox is for Everybody. We're bombarded by everything from chemtrails to EMFs to pesticides, herbicides, even uh, toxic people. We're going to deal with all of these aspects at the Two Days of Truth Summit coming up. Sina, give us the final information. I'm really excited about this summit. I think this is going to be our best one yet. It's June 14th and 15th at Polyface Farm. We have some fantastic speakers like Sayer G, the founder of Green Med Info, uh, Dr. Leland Stillman, who's been featured by Wise Traditions lately, Hilda Labrada-Gore, affectionately known as Holistic Hilda, you and me, of course, we also have, for the first time ever, a kids and teens program. So now the adults can enjoy the adult side while they know that their kids and their teens are having fun while also being educated by Joel, myself, and Hilda. It's going to be a blast. And this year, what we're going to do is we're going to actually teach you ancient and modern techniques for how to detoxify the body, mind, and spirit. And we're going to help you put together a personalized plan like an action plan that you can take home and start. As soon as you arrive home, you can implement this action plan and start your detoxing. You know, listen, folks, Polyface is only eight hours from half of the U.S. population. Take a long weekend, come join us, and uh, you'll rub shoulders with other like-minded people, find our tribe, and be encouraged. It's a lonely place out there lots of times, especially if you're a bit of a maverick. So come and spend time with other mavericks and get encouraged, inspired, and enthused about living a more healthy life. So I love the topic for this year, detoxification. It is one of the most important topics that we could ever address at our health summit. Because as Joel mentioned, everyone, every single person needs to know how to detoxify their body, mind, and spirit in order to achieve optimal health and wellness. One of the things I think that folks are not aware of is that this agenda of fake meat, of cell cultured meat, is right now, it's about 10 years behind their early uh, prophecies, their early prognostications. The reason it hasn't happened is because when you run, when you try to culture um, cell structures in a bioreactor, you don't have the entire organism's um, functionality to dispose of waste to move energy around within within the the structure, uh, within the cell structure, and basically all you have to move stuff is bubbles and filters, and those are not nearly as efficient as as a body, whether it's a cow or a person or a, or a cat or a tomato for that matter, and so um, and, and so the the truth is that when they thought they were going to be cranking out uh, millions of pounds of this stuff, they've actually only cranked out a few pounds of it in little gallon jugs because they can't get rid of the waste and the whole thing becomes toxic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Labels, the podcast with yours truly, Joel Salatin, a farmer in Virginia, and our favorite researcher, Dr. Sina McCauley. And today's topic is coming on the heels of the announcement just in the last week where Italy banned the use, sale, import, or export of food and feed from cell cultures 
or tissue derived from vertebrate animals. A lot of us call this fake meat, lab meat, cell, you know, cell structured meat, whatever. But 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 the point is, it's fabricated. It's fabricated uh, meat, and um, and this is of course a very hot topic in lots of circles, from you know climate change discussions to uh, dietary discussions and all sorts of things to animal animal welfare, all those kinds of things. We've already done a podcast. Uh, uh, digging into this topic a little bit, but we're going to come to you today with some more updates and some additional thinking with this new um, this new development from Italy, which you know, as we all know in America, a lot of times the way Europe goes, America follows about fifty years later, and so if this is the kind of thing that's developing, uh, you know, we're seeing it, and, and we certainly see a a, a an increasing um, uh, ostracism of meat eating. Uh, California now has, they haven't passed it in the law, but there are, are, are bills being submitted to create uh, meat eating, uh, segregated meat eating areas in restaurants. Uh, like, like, you know, they used to have smoke, you know, rooms for smokers and um, uh, to segregate smokers away from non-smokers. And now it looks like there's more and more impetus to go to public spaces where meat eaters will be segregated from non-meat eaters. We don't want to be in this, you know, same room. And so, you know, the we we do see the rumblings of these kinds of things you know, developing in our own country. Um, but this this Italian um, uh, law uh, is certainly, uh, you know, uh, an interesting an interesting take where Italy has um, said we don't want anything to do with it. We're not going to eat it. We're not going to grow it. We're not going to import it. We're not going to export it. Uh, so they've taken a very strong stand uh, against it. You know, wouldn't you expect that from a place that creates uh, Parmesan cheese? So <laughs> anyway, here we are. And Cena is going to Cena's got some new information. Is going to bring us up to date a little bit on where we are in that whole you know that cell cultured meat um, scenario. Oh, thanks, Joel. So yeah, like Joel said, there's a lot of updates to provide. And then I want to really dive down and discuss this with Joel from, you know, a, a farmer perspective, also libertarian perspective, and what he thinks about all of these laws and banning and should we be banning food in general? Okay, so as Joel mentioned, in November, Italy became the first country to ban these what we're calling these cultivated meats or the lab grown meat. The Italian Minister of Agriculture said, quote, in defense of health, of the Italian production system, of thousands of jobs, of our culture and tradition, with the law approved today, Italy is the first nation in the world to be safe from the social and economic risks of synthetic food. Right. The Italian Prime Minister Maloney said that farmers are one of the main reasons why we should ban fake food. She said, quote, we could only celebrate with our farmers a measure that puts our farmers in the vanguard, not just on the issue of defending excellence, but also in defending consumers. Okay, in that bill, Italy also banned companies from using meat references when they're selling plant-based alternatives. So for example, if you're marketing a product as quote unquote tofu steak, that would actually violate this new law. All right, so I wanted to contrast that with what's happening in the US. While Italy was the first to ban cultivated meat, the US was one of the first countries to approve cultivated meat for human consumption. 
There, to my knowledge, there's only been two countries that have approved cultivated meat for human consumption, and that's the U.S. and the Sing and Singapore. Um, in so the way the time frame for how this happened was in November of 2022, the FDA announced that it completed its first pre-market consultation for a human food made from the cultured animal cells. Then in June of 2023, the USDA uh, gave its first ever approval to produce cell cultured meat to two companies in the United States. Those are Good Meat and Upside Food. The approval was for lab-grown chicken. Um, Good Meat um, said that the company also received early in 2023, a no questions letter from the FDA. So our audience knows what that means, right? That's a grass listing. So this, this lab-grown chicken was quote unquote, approved by the FDA through the grass loophole. Um, it was so what's been approved so far in the U.S. is the lab grown chicken, although Good Meat says that they're working on other types of meat, including cultivated beef using cells from California pasture raised cattle. Okay, uh, research and markets, a, a group that predicts um, trends, they're actually predicting that the global uh, lab grown meat market is gonna reach nearly $2 billion by 2035. They said that the largest market share of this segment is actually attributed to increasing adoption of the on-the-go lifestyle, as well as the growing demand for snack products and frozen foods. Okay, now I found this interesting. There are some states that are pushing back. So Missouri and Florida seem to be in the lead of trying to exercise states' rights. On November 13th of this year, 2023, uh, a Florida state rep filed a bill, it's HR 435, and the bill aims to prohibit the, quote, manufacturing, sale, holding, or distribution of cultivated meat in the state of Florida. Uh, the commissioner of the Florida Department of Agriculture is fully on board. He said the following, without this legislation, untested, potentially unsafe, and nearly unregulated laboratory-produced meat could be made available in Florida. Now, as of um, November 22nd, that bill has moved to the Agriculture, Conservation, and Resiliency Subcommittee. So it has not passed yet. It's in another committee. Missouri passed a law in 2018 that prohibited plant-based and lab-grown foods from being labeled as meat. Okay, so you can't misrepresent it as an actual meat product. Meanwhile, other countries seem to be pushing the agenda of switching from animal-based proteins to plant-based proteins as well. They're saying this is because of climate change. So Germany, Germany already sells synthetic meat products manufactured by Beyond Meat. They're reportedly selling in over 1,600 stores. The Netherlands and the UK They've actually earmarked public funds for research and development of cultivated meat, as well as alternative protein sources, respectively. And Spain is actually studying the potential of cultivated meat in preventing food-related diseases, right? So they're actually trying to figure out if there's benefits from this. And something else that I found that was interesting before we jump into Joel's take on this is that the American government also seems to be pushing the narrative of more plant-based consumption. Okay, the, the latest um, US dietary guidelines that came out, if you look on page 34, and of course we'll include the link to this, it says, quote, shifts are needed 
within the protein foods group to add variety to subgroup intakes. Selecting from the seafood group or the beans, peas, and lentils subgroup more often could help meet recommendations while still ensuring adequate protein consumption. They go on to say about replacing a processed or high fat meats um, is, is advised. Um, you, they want you to replace these high fat meats with beans, peas, and lentils. And they say they would have similar benefits um, to the health of the American population as if you were you know, similar benefits to consuming these fat-based meats, which, you know, they're talking about predominantly the red, red meats. So I found that fascinating because for me, this is an indication that the government is on some level starting to push into this narrative of let's consume more plant-based proteins. I mean, they, they are literally stating it in the new dietary guidelines. And as you know, these are used to shift policies, right? They, they make, they set policies, they shift the way that manufacturers make foods. They shift what's being served to um, the elderly and nursing homes, people in hospitals, children um, in schools and daycares. So they are setting the policy and it's moving towards plant-based uh, plant-based protein. And what I think is fascinating is that um, I want to share this story and then I'm going to throw it over to you, Joel. So in June of this year of 2023, there was a study from Purdue University that is actually blatantly challenging these U.S. dietary guidelines that are, that are recommending this shift away from animal protein and toward plant-based proteins. So there's a couple things that I find fascinating that this study has revealed. Basically, they said that the dietary guidelines are recommending that you consume um, more plant-based protein on this ounce equivalent portion, okay? So if you look at the dietary guidelines, they group proteins into animal-based, and this would be your red meats, poultry, fish, and eggs, and then there's plant-based. This would be soy products, beans, peas, lentils, nuts, and seeds, okay? When they are comparing the animal-based protein to the plant-based protein, they use what's called ounce equivalents. So basically a, a one ounce equivalent equals one ounce of meat or a whole egg, a quarter cup of beans or a half ounce of nuts. Okay, so this is what they use to differentiate between the plant and animal uh, protein sources. And then this is the dietary guidelines that trickle down to affect all of us, okay? So it's really important to know how did they come up with these ounce of protein equivalents, okay? This is what they say. Not only has no study has assessed the same ounce equivalent portions of animal versus plant proteins, right? So they haven't even assessed the difference between consuming animal protein and plant protein on an ounce equivalent portion, but they say, quote, the basis for stating that these protein foods are quote unquote equivalent and have quote similar nutritional content is unclear. So researchers can't even figure out how is it that they have classified these different foods as being equivalent to each other. And we know they're not, right? I mean, this is basic nutrition. 
We know that the protein quality and protein quantity differ in the different foods. Like pork contains about seven grams of protein, whereas um, one ounce of almonds contains about three grams of total protein. So the, the total amount is different and the quality is different. And that's what I want to briefly chat about on this sub on this study. They actually measured the qualitative difference between these protein sources. And they did that through measuring the essential amino acids that were actually absorbed into the bloodstream after um, young and old adults consume these different foods. So essential amino acids, if, if you're not aware, are in, in, the, in the nutrition world, we say that you can't make these. That's why they're called essential amino acids. You have to eat them. And they're very important because you have to have, have the amino acids in order to build things like certain muscles and hormones and for your metabolism to work properly. So if you don't consume enough essential amino acids, it's correlated to poor health. And if, and we, you need to have enough essential amino acids um, in order to think, think about like in order to build, build muscle, to maintain muscle as you age, to maintain proper metabolism and immune function. Okay. So it's a very critical marker in the field of nutrition. And what they did in this study was they fed um, human subjects. They fed them um, either two ounces of pork or two ounces of um, egg or beans or almonds. And they fed them on different days, okay, in a mixed meal that was the same each time. And then they drew their blood for a total of five hours to track what happened with the essential amino acids um, that got absorbed into the body. How much was actually absorbed? And was there actually a difference in quality between these proteins? And they found a huge difference. Not surprisingly, they found the greatest amount of essential amino acid bioavailability. So basically the greatest amount of essential amino acids that were absorbed into everybody's bloodstream came from pork. The second greatest came from egg. And then beans and almonds were the same. They were, there was no significant difference between them, but there is a big significant difference between beans and almonds and the pork and the egg. So these researchers went on researchers went on to basically conclude that quote these results highlight the shortcomings of using ounce equivalents to achieve the dietary guideline recommendations for protein requirement and they're saying that this study is going to serve as an important resource resource for the future dietary guidelines of America for them to reevaluate the appropriateness of equating different protein sources comprising the protein food groups on an ounce equivalent basis for young and older adults. So like in the, in the science world, this is like, this is harsh language. Right? Like You don't say things like this in a study, right? You're very, you try to be very neutral because you need your funding. So these um, scientists clearly feel very strongly about this and they're pointing out something that's um, very critical because number one, it's, it's an oversimplification, right? So when we're talking about, oh, you can still meet all your dietary protein requirements um, based on the plant-based diet, they have completely not only oversimplified it, but it sounds like they're just making up what these protein equivalents are. They, and in the dietary guidelines, they don't even reference how they come up with them. And so now we have scientists coming out and saying, hey, this is actually 
pretty much a lie of what you're promoting to the country for them to be eating. And you may in fact be endangering people. So for me, it's such, um, it's so much contradiction that our government on one hand with these highly influential dietary guidelines are pushing this uh, plant-based narrative and they're saying, oh, you'll be fine. Shift more of your intake to plant-based uh, uh, protein sources and you'll be completely fine. Meanwhile, we have the scientists saying that's actually not true. We don't even know where you came up with that. So I think that the, that America, I, I think it's another one of those things where, you know, you really need to look beyond what they're saying. You need to ask the questions of what's happening here. Why are they being driven to say this? And so I'm wondering if there's actually, uh, you know, global influence, industrial influence, you know, um, high-powered entrepreneurial influence that's that's touched these dietary guidelines even more than we had previously thought. Thank you for joining us on Beyond Labels. Our mission with this podcast is to make it accessible to everyone. But we are behind a paywall because the issues we discuss are often subject to censorship. We run into that, and so we have an extremely modest paywall to let us have the freedom to discuss the kind of issues we want to discuss in the way we want to discuss. And you can become a member and enjoy all this content by clicking on the description box below. We look forward to having you join our family.